In the early part of the 18th century, Owen Parfitt lived with his older sister in the small village of Shepton Mallet, 16 miles southwest of Bath, in the rural county of Somerset in the west of England. Today, the population of this ancient parish is about 11,000, but back then the number of people who lived there were far fewer. In his early life, Owen Parfitt had been sent by his father to apprentice as a tailor. Although he picked up the skills well, it was said that he did not particularly enjoy tailoring, and one day he grew entirely tired of it and enrolled in Her Majesty's Armed Forces to become a soldier. He would go on to travel the world, and on occasion his sister would receive a letter or card from him in some foreign climes. Parfit spent many years as a serving soldier, and when he finally retired, his parents had been long since dead. He returned home to Shepton Mallet and moved in with his sister, Mary, who was 15 years older than him. By now, they were both in their twilight years, and Owen was suffering from rheumatism quite badly. His time in the army had taken its toll on his health. His greatest pleasure was now to sit in the garden, surrounded by fields and woods for miles around. He would spend many days in the garden, often receiving visits from friends and neighbours in the friendly neighbourhood. As the years passed, his rheumatism got progressively worse, and it got to the point that he could not walk at all without help any more. His legs, feet and hands were all crippled, which makes his sudden, unexplained vanishing all the more strange. On the morning of a June day in 1768, Mary, his sister, who by now was 80 years old herself, had asked their neighbour, Susanna Snooker, to come and help her with Owen, as she usually did each morning, to help him out of bed and into the chair in the garden, while they made his bed and tidied his room. While they did this, Owen would sit in his chair in the garden, still dressed in his nightclothes, but with a large overcoat draped over his shoulders, to keep away the chill. After making sure he was comfy, Mary and Susanna went back inside, and Susanna left shortly after, leaving Mary to get her chores in the cottage done. And this is where things get bizarre. When Mary came back into the garden, not much later, Owen was no longer sitting in the chair. She scanned the garden for him, but could see no sign of her brother, then hurried to her neighbour Susanna's house to tell her. Mary was distraught. She said she hadn't heard a sound. The chair was in exactly the same position they'd left it in, she said. Both Mary and Suzanne were dumbfounded. They had no idea where he'd gone, and more to the point, how he had gone, given that he could barely move at all, and could not even walk a couple of steps without assistance. And yet, somehow, his garden seat was empty and he was nowhere to be seen. To make matters even more odd, the field closest to his garden was full of people at the time. It was haymaking season, but no one had seen anything. Mary and Susanna raised the alarm, and neighbours, along with the farm workers, all got together to make a thorough sweep of the garden, and all the fields, the woods, and the village, looking in gardens and outbuildings, ditches and ponds, but there was no sign of Owen. No one could understand it. Owen seemed to have vanished without trace. One source for this story is the book written by a Mrs Lang called The Strange Story Book in 1913, in which she says, It doesn't make sense how this could be done, in broad daylight, in spite of the thorough nature of the hunt, which did not cease even during a sharp thunderstorm, and went on, on all that night and the next day. Neither then nor later was any traces ever found. 
Mrs. Lang says that after many years of service in the army, Owen had returned to Shepton Mallet, bent and crippled with wounds and rheumatism. Despite this, Owen apparently announced his intention to take up in business again as a tailor, for his sister had kept his sewing equipment, and he did do some tailoring, as best he could, in the cottage often while friends visited to chat with him, and acquaintances would lean over the gate when he was sat in the garden and engage in passing conversation with him each day and share any news of the village. As time went on, Owen's rheumatism got worse and worse, and Mrs Lang says by and by he became unable to stir hand or foot. Mary, too, though she kept a remarkable clean cottage, was unable to assist Owen on her own, and so she engaged the local woman, Susanna Schnook, who lived a few yards away. Together, they would carry Owen along the passage to the chair placed outside the back door, if the weather was fine, and leave him there, warmly wrapped up while his bed was made. On the day of his curious vanishing, Owen was as usual, still dressed in his nightclothes, in his chair with the overcoat around his shoulders. He was, says Mrs Lang, plain for all folks to see when Mary and Suzanne left him. Then, in about half an hour, news reached that Owen had disappeared. The alarm once given, the neighbours lost no time in making a thorough search of both town and country, for some distance around, even of the most unlikely spots. Mrs Lang says that the general opinion of the neighbours at the time was that he was carried off by demons, and indeed, she says, the whole affair was so strange and without reason that their view was hardly to be wondered at. Well, at some point after his disappearance, there was a discovery. Bones under a well near Owen's cottage gave a new turn, said Mrs Lang. But this happened many years after the disappearance and were, when examined in 1814, found to be the bones of a girl. Mrs Lang tells us that there was one witness who offered an alternative opinion, Jessa Fatstone, who swore Mary had assured him that she had come downstairs hastily after hearing a noise to find her brother gone and the chair displaced. But the fact, she said, he did not know of his own knowledge, and Susanna, when asked about the displacing of the chair, declared that the chair was exactly as she had left it, and that Mary had expressly said she had heard no noise. Mrs Lang looked to the possibility that Owen might have been kidnapped and murdered. She says one question remained to be put, and that was if the old man had any money which might have led to his kidnapping or murder. One witness said he had a small pension, amounting to about £7 a year, but an old woman, who was related, was quite sure he had nothing of the sort, and she says at any rate he would have hardly had it on him when he was dressed in his night things. For Dr Butler, a reverend and headmaster of Shrewsbury School at the time of Parfitt's disappearance, who would go on to become the Bishop of Lichfield, was also intrigued by the case, and he attempted to carry out an investigation of his own. He asked, but was he a totally helpless cripple? Well, there seems to have been a rumour, says Mrs Lang, that a person of his description was seen wandering that evening near Froome, twelve miles distant. Close examination, in accordance with Dr Butler's wish, was made into this matter, but none of the witnesses had ever seen Parfit on his feet or attempting to use them for many years before he vanished. Mrs Lang, however, speculates, but supposing, as has been sometimes known, that a sort of miracle had been wrought and his power of walking had suddenly come back, but how could he have got from Shepton Mallet to Froome in broad daylight 
past cottages and along roads where everyone knew him without being recognised by a single person along the way. Mrs Lang's conclusion was, I give it up, as they say about riddles, and Dr Butler gave it up too. Well, from the calendar of customs, superstitions and weather law and important events connected with the county of Somerset by W.G. Wills Watson in 1920, it says the helpless man has completely vanished, leaving the great coat hanging over the back of his chair. The general opinion was that he had been spirited away by supernatural means, and to add to the terror of the superstitious neighbours, a terrible storm with lightning and thunder burst. A most exhaustive search was made for him, every wood, ditch, pond and well, for miles, but in vain. It had been suggested that some Bristol acquaintances had strong reasons for wishing him out of the way, and that they carried him off and murdered him, possibly with the connivance of a widow named Lockyer, who lived near and was on terms of intimacy with Parfit, to whom she was slightly related, and who did not bear a very good character. But this, at best, is merely a suggestion, and no proof of anything of the kind has ever been forthcoming, they say. Well, at the time of the disappearance, Dr Butler, as described in The Life and Letters of Dr Samuel Butler, headmaster of Shrewsbury School, well, Dr Butler had written to a Mr Hyatt, the leading solicitor of Shepton Mallet at the time, and with whom he had frequent business connections, and Dr Butler had urged him to take down the depositions of those who had been neighbours of Parfit. However, Mr Hyatt pleaded age and deafness, whereupon the matter was dropped, until November 1813, when the discovery of a skeleton in the garden of a man named Thomas Strode, not more than a couple of hundred yards from the cottage, gave fresh stimulus. But as we know, however, these were not Parfit's bones, they belonged to a young girl. Well, it seems somehow Dr Butler did get some depositions done, because the deposition of a Joanna Mills, says the book, who is the most reliable of all dependents, said he was generally considered, this is Parfit, of a fair character, and either and neither a very good man nor a very bad man. Well, Susanna Snook's deposition, aged 81, was she returned and found the sister, Mary, sorrowing bitterly for the loss of her brother and very much agitated and not knowing what had become of him. The thunder and lightning apparently began about an hour after Owen's disappearance. Joanna Mills, deposed, reported that a person answering to his description called the day after his disappearance at a public house at Leighton, about 12 miles from Shepton Mallet, and had a pint of ale and a halfpenny cake, but she could not vouch for it. And this person was never traced or identified. Other deposed villagers included Joseph George, Benjamin George, Prudence Millard and William Millard, aged 72. All had known Owen Parfit well and had either assisted in searching for him or been otherwise closely connected with him, said Dr Butler. But he adds, they contradict themselves and each other in small, unimportant aspects capable of easy explanation, but they are sufficiently unanimous to leave no doubt that the facts are as I have given them. Again, he says, to what people believed had happened to Owen Parfit was that he had been carried off by the devil. Nor, he says, is the opinion even now as extinct as might be wished. Well, Owen Parfit never was found. Elizabeth Unger, reporting for the National Geographic, described a remarkable incident that took place in the Bolivian rainforest 
an area of thick forested mountains where fog will often creep in. And it's the place the locals say the jungle can swallow you up in a second. But in the Medidi National Park, a protected rainforest, escorted and guided tours lessen the risk of this happening, and disappearances are said to be rare. But this was not the case for the 25-year-old Chilean tourist, man may call Corseo Michael, who did go missing, vanished, apparently, by mysterious circumstances, the rangers told Unger. Michael, according to witnesses, had last been seen sitting on the steps of his cabin the night before. He was on a tour with a local agency. This is really a strange case for us, the park director told Unger. The location of Michael's vanishing was accessible only by boat and miles from any town. The tour guide said that the previous afternoon, Michael had accompanied the rest of the tour group into the forest to explore. When they returned, he was acting notably excited, they said. He was acting a little bit strange, Pfizer, the tour director told Unger. His face didn't look normal. On their return, the tour director had invited the group to join in a Pachmana ceremony, which was a traditional ceremony involving candles, cocoa, leaves, cigarettes, to give thanks to Pachmama, Mother Earth, for allowing them to be in the forest. Michael had refused to join in, however. Then, when a guide went to check on him back at his cabin, the guide could not find him there. Only a couple of minutes had passed between Michael walking back to his cabin. Quickly, the tour group grabbed flashlights and began to walk into the rainforest to search for him. They searched all night, and they found no sign of him. Pfizer told Unger, it's because he offended Pachamama. The rangers agreed with Pfizer, said Unger. People view the rainforest as a powerful place filled with mystical entities, both good and evil. Disrespect Pachamama, for example, and she could let you be driven mad by Duende, a mischievous sprite who hides victims in another dimension. Unger says, Marcos told me, we believe Duende is real and we think it's possible that he was taken by him. The head of the tour group decided it was time to call in Romulo and his wife Tuberkia, shamans, who soon arrived with the materials they required for their ceremony to request the return of Michael. Beer, cigarettes, confetti and a large wooden cross. Materials they would need to breach the spiritual domain, said Unger, adding they believed the Duende had been harnessing the energy of Mapajo, a powerful tree spirit, to hide Michael. The shaman said he's far away, in a place we can't reach. The only way to bring him back was by performing the ceremony and giving payments in exchange for the return of Maiko's body and soul into this dimension. It would be the only way he could be found in the forest, they said. Meanwhile, Maiko's family arrived in the forest where they joined in combing the forest with searchers. At the same time, the shamans worked just as hard, said Unger, staying up every night until dawn, making payment after payment. No one could find a sign of him. It was like he was never there at all. Then, six days into the search, a ranger came across a muddy sock on the floor of the forest. Michael's mother said it was her son's, said Unger. For the shamans, the sock changed everything. It was a window into Michael's soul, a way to reach him, reach him on the spiritual planes and call him back. The shamans told Unger, the sock made it much easier for us to reach him. And after two more long nights of ceremony, they claimed their payments had been accepted. Michael's liberation had begun, they said. And we would soon start finding signs of him, said Unger. 
The next morning, two guides from the tour group found him, less than one mile from their camp. They found him standing in a tree. The first thing he told his rescuers was that he wanted a Coca-Cola. He told them monkeys had let him follow them and they had dropped fruit for him. Well, very strangely, as reported by Unger in the National Geographic, Michael revealed that the night he disappeared, strange, terrible thoughts had begun to creep into his mind. He said he had an irresistible urge to get out of the rainforest. He threw off his sandals. I said, no, they would slow me down. Then he threw his phone and torchlight away too and began to run. When he stopped running, it was too late. He was already hopelessly lost. You may remember that I've covered some really strange cases in my books about the Orang Bunyan, the whispering people of Malaysia. Well, I came across another story. Mohammed Ashraf Hassan, 29, was one of 485 runners taking part in the 25-kilometre Gopeng Ultra Trail, run in the Gua Tempurung area of Malaysia, heavily forested. But he did not show up at the finish line. His friend, Mohid Farid, alerted the race organisers after he failed to get hold of Hassan on his mobile phone at just after 1am. His friend was very worried when he didn't cross the finish line and he was apparently one of the top 10 runners. Hassan's sister, however, was not overly worried. She told the Malaysian star that her brother had more than five years' experience in running and climbing in various events. She said it's his hobby. He's a climbing coach. He really understands the safety aspect. In fact, the shirt he wore when he went missing was a bright colour. Well, the Malaysian star says a search and rescue operation was underway as soon as he was reported missing. A water bottle was located near the last spot he'd been seen in at checkpoint six. Tracker dogs had been brought in. Assistant Director of Search Operations, Mr Kumpalan, said that the missing man was in the top 10 of the competitors, but only his water bottle was found. One week on, and the search and rescue was still ongoing. Director General of Fire and Rescue, Dakot Wahid, said they did not rule out the possibility of mystical elements. Since the discovery of the water bottle, no other clues have been found in the nine-day search. Well, one volunteer searcher wrote on their blog that they went there with a few friends to help search. She said, there are some places where we interact with creatures there. My own experience as a searcher, the forests and caves around here, each has a different wave frequency. The area around here is thousands of years old. From a spiritual point of view, he has been moved to another place. There is a lot of strange stories around here. A runner from the searchers looked for us and could not find us while the trail is the only one. The runner said they saw someone else and told them we had just passed them about one minute ago, but the runner couldn't find us. This group of volunteers, feeling rather spooked, began to read the Quran. She said during the reading, a strong heavy rain and storm came. Strong wind and tree branches began flying. A large tree fell. There is something other beings are afraid of here. It's as if some are of high rank and others are able to see the reason for the lower rank. One night we came back with a team of 15 volunteers, but there seemed to be nothing left in the area. We got lost and found big trees in an area where there were not trees. The Star newspaper of Malaysia also reported in November 2017 strange, startling, unbelievable a paddy farmer was reportedly flown by two shadowy figures and given a sumptuous dinner atop a hill. He was believed to have been kidnapped by a pretty Orang Bunyan, 
celestial spirits and taken to the summit of a hill at Bukit Bangal. There he was entertained to a grand dinner celebration by the young fairies. This incident, they say, caused a sensation in Kumpang Kenalong in October 1979. Following this incident, several villagers conducted a frantic search for the farmer, as Mihamad, then 28. The farmer was apparently reported missing while taking a bath in the river near his house. Asmi had awakened his wife, Amir, 31, at 4am and told her of his intention to bathe. Without a second glance, he hurriedly went out. He failed to return, even after 7am. Sensing something was wrong, she related the incident to her neighbours. After finding his clothes by the riverside, they launched a massive search with the help of police personnel. A few Bomo, the shaman, was summoned to assist in the operation. It was unsuccessful. Candles were lighted and placed at the riverbank on the spot where Asmi took his bath. The Bomal chanted some holy verses in the hope that Asmi would return as soon as possible. Unaided by anyone, Asmi came back after 8pm the same day. He was in a semi-conscious condition. He then related the wonderful trip he experienced. It was as if he were in paradise, he said. Asmi had a burning desire to visit the same hill again. He hoped to be fetted by the fairies once more to the delicacies they had prepared for him. His family, however, strongly prevented him from associating in any form with these spiritual beings. There's also the report that comes from August 2020, again in the Malaysian newspapers, saying missing 10-year-old Sabah believed to have been kidnapped by Orang Bunyan. A village was in fear, they said when 10-year-old girl goes missing, believed to have been kidnapped, not by a human, but an orang binyan, a forest person, said Juice Online of Malaysia. In Kampung Kalongsa, authorities were immediately called to investigate the incident. Superintendent Champin Piu interviewed several residents, most notably head villager Matthias Bello, and they all came to the conclusion that the girl was chosen by an orang binyan. According to Piu, the incident occurred close to prayer time, approximately 6.30 in the evening. The victim was found near the compounds of the head villager's house. The victim was found in an open area, lying down with her hands folded atop her chest. When she was discovered, Pew said she was in a very weak and vulnerable state. Her family immediately performed a kenduri selamat, a ritual to pray for the safety of her and to prevent it from happening again. Says the article, these kidnappings usually happen during Maghrib prayers, which is believed to be the peak hour for spirits and mythical creatures to roam free in search of victims. Oftentimes, the victim will be found in an open field, caught up in a daze. Most victims don't recall their abduction. Places that are susceptible to these kind of abnormal kidnappings are usually areas that are uninhabitable, such as thick forests and rivers. Some victims even say that they would smell a pungent perfume or see a silhouette before blacking out.